0: For those who don't know me, my name is Fiona and I'm part of the leadership support team here in Stirling Vineyard Church. We're continuing in our series of Nehemiah this week, which looks at the theme of building to last. We're excited to see God building us as a church and calling us out to build his kingdom here in Stirling. Over the last couple of weeks, we're starting to see plans and route maps of how the UK will come out of lockdown and the task before us is one of rebuilding. Rebuilding the economy, rebuilding our education structures, our health services and communities. And we believe that the church has a vital part to play in this. And Hannah encouraged us as we began this series to consider what does it mean to build the kingdom of God. She called us to listen in the quiet place and to consider what is he asking us to do? Through this series, we can be encouraged by the example of Nehemiah being open to God's vision and giving us a model of how prayer and action go hand in hand. In chapter 1, we looked at prayer and how Nehemiah allowed God to break his heart for his people and his cause. In chapter 2, we saw the importance of planning and preparation. Nehemiah put the expected results in God's hands before he set out on his task. And thirdly, in chapter three, it was all about the practical application. And I loved Hannah's tips and advice about prayer walks in our local streets and looking at what the needs are of our communities. This week, it's all about perseverance. And if you take anything away from today, it's this. Don't be surprised if you find opposition by the way of discouragement when you step up to what God has called you to do. I'm just going to pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Open our hearts and our minds to hear you this morning. Will we you welcome your Holy Spirit here? And we ask for wisdom and understanding as we explore your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna pick up the story in chapter four with Nehemiah, who armed with his royal letters has traveled to Jerusalem and organized the people into groups, assigning them to specific sections of the wall. However, the construction project immediately saw opposition from those who had already been living around Jerusalem. Leaders of local people attempted to hinder the Jewish effort, including Samballot and Tobiah, who worked to ha- who tried to halt the work with insults, ridicule, threats, and sabotage. And some of the workers became fearful; others became weary. And in each case, Nehemiah employed a strategy to frustrate the enemies prayer, encouragement, guard duty, and being joined together in community. I'm just gonna read from chapter four. Sam Ballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt, do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Samballa and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they'll come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears and bows. Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. The labourers carried on with, carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I always told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. So Nehemiah carries out a vision for the city with integrity and courage, but they have to build the city with armed guards to protect them. Let's circle back a little bit earlier on in the book to gain an understanding of why things escalated. Opposition to the rebuilding of Jerusalem had been going on for 90 years by those who settled in the area when the Jews were taken captive. In chapter 2, verse 10, we're told that Sambalat and Tobiah were angry when they heard of Nehemiah's arrival and planned to help the people of Israel. Tensions were made worse in chapter 2, verse 20, when Nehemiah calls out that they have no share, legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem, and this provokes them to hostility. In chapter 4, we see this opposition kick off, and we shouldn't be surprised by that, because when we step up and do something that God has called us to do, your spiritual enemy will try to oppose you. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we're doing something right. And there are two ways, two different ways we can see the spiritual enemy try to use discouragement in chapter four. Firstly, your spiritual enemy will attempt to discourage you from the outside, trying to get you to quit. And we see this in verse 1 and 2. Sam Bala and Tobiah showed up and immediately started ridiculing and mocking Nehemiah in the attempt to dissuade the Jewish people from building the wall. Remember at first God seemed to prosper Nehemiah. He rose through the ranks in the influential and trusted position next to the king. He moved the king to compassion over Jerusalem and was sent off on royal leave, on a royal leave of absence with a building permanent in one hand and a military escort behind him. He quickly mobilised volunteers to rebuild sections of the wall and it seemed like things were going well. Things seemed easy until they started to build. And I see some of our own story reflected here in the planting of Stirling Vineyard Church. The church was planted in response to an invitation, a vision that God had given vineyard leaders to see 21 new churches in Scotland by 2021. The church was planted, people were gathered and trained and ministries were released. There's a vision and a passion to do something significant in the city. And then guess what? A pandemic hits and people's jobs, education, and lives are put on hold. But I urge you not to be discouraged when you're doing something for God and there are obstacles. Bring them to God and remember his promise to be with you. Ask him for the encouragement and the strength to carry on. And let's look at how Nehemiah reacted to discouragement from the outside. In verse four, it begins, Then I prayed. He took it to God. He honestly expressed his anger to God. But he didn't take matters into his own hands. How much control must he have had to be publicly ridiculed in this way, in front of an entire city, looking up to him as their leader. I wonder how many of us would have snapped or made the situation worse by going on the defence or giving up entirely. And this is an area that God is developing in me. As a secondary school teacher, I learned fairly quickly that not everyone is going to like you. And sometimes that comes from the subject. I generally get a 50-50 split when I tell people I'm a geography teacher. It's usually, oh, cool, I used to love geography, I bet I could still tell you how an oxbow lake forms. Or it's, oh, I I used to hate geography, sorry. I had this really weird teacher who wore tweed jackets with elbow patches. Also, not everyone learns in the same way, so it's impossible to plan a lesson to suit 100% of the class every time. As a probationary teacher, I had one pupil who took advantage of my position as a young and experienced teacher. The pupil made every lesson as difficult as possible and in any attempt to follow the school's discipline policy I'd been met with mocking and retaliation, sometimes even physically by him pushing chairs and tables out of the way and slamming doors. And it reached the point where this pupil made up lies that I was bullying him and I got pulled into restorative meetings with him and his parents who didn't even bother turning up. It was one of the hardest situations I ever had to deal with and it was a steep learning curve. But here's the hard truth, criticism is inevitable and inescapable. And it's a natural part of leadership. Leadership's not a popularity contest. It's about doing what's in the best interest of the people or the organisation you're serving. And in that first year as a teacher, I had to be open and willing to receive, to process, learn from and endure criticism. If there's anything that we can learn from Nehemiah's character, it's that he was a prayer warrior. God had been preparing and positioning Nehemiah to accomplish a seemingly impossible task. He left a secure and successful job, a place where he had great influence and entered into the fractured homeland of his ancestors. A place of ruins and with an army ahead of him. But from beginning to end, he prayed for God's help. There's such power in prayer and prayer and action go hand in hand. Through prayer, God guides our preparation, our teamwork, our diligent efforts in carrying out as well. And after his prayer in verses 4 and 6, it says that the wall was built to half its height when the people worked with enthusiasm. They set their hearts and their minds on accomplishing the task and they persevered with the work because God had called them to a task and they were determined to complete it. Even after the threat of an army coming to fight against Jerusalem, nothing would make them stop depending on God through prayer. They might have given up, believing the continued attack was a failure on God's part to answer prayer, but they had more trust than that. So Nehemiah and the people went back to work, but it wasn't long before he faced the second type of opposition, this time from the inside, where he faced discouragement from his own team. In verse 10 it says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. It's understandable. Accomplishing any large task is tiring, let alone when you listen to and believe the opposition. There are always pressures that foster discouragement. The task seems impossible, it can never be finished, or too many factors are working against us. You might be here and dealing with disappointment, or you might have a situation with work that you're really struggling with. You might be dealing with loss or grief, you may be raising a family, which is an amazing privilege, but also incredibly hard work. Or maybe you're struggling on a daily basis with anxiety or stress. When I was preparing for this talk, I listened to some amazing sermons and speakers who shared stories of perseverance. And it actually left me wondering whether I was the best person to deliver this topic, as I struggled to recall specific examples in my life. Now obviously there are and in fact I am experiencing one just now and and maybe I'll share that another day. But I think part of my personality means that I deal with things quite head on, preparing for obstacles before they arise and adapting when they do. I tried asking my husband Ali who was quick to offer an example of bike racing although I think that's a choice and a different type of perseverance and one that he definitely enjoys a lot more than me. Rick Warren, an author and pastor of Saddleback Church in America, encourages believers not to give up. He says, if you have a problem just now, just don't give up. Just change the way that you're doing it. Reorganise whatever is not working. Clean out the clutter. So we have responsibilities, believers, to take both practical and spiritual te- steps to overcome discouragement. And this is how Nehemiah reacted. He took wise, practical steps to counter the threats. So first of all, he stationed guards at obvious weak points. Yes, they prayed, but they also that also doesn't mean that you stand back and do nothing. They use common sense and Nehemiah's strength and planning and organising and leadership to protect against the attack, using willing servants of God to be the wall until the wall was built. So what are your weak points, maybe personally or in the ministry or area that God is calling you to build? When we see an area that needs attention, then perhaps you need to give it special attention and accountability to it. We show God we're serious when we combine prayer with thought, preparation, and effort. And secondly, he reminded workers to keep weapons close to hand and to fight. He commanded them to bring out their armor. It was time to get serious, to put on the full armor and to get ready for the fight with every resource that they had. What are your weapons or resources needed? If you don't know where to begin, then consider your spiritual defense and adopt God's armor for us outlined in Ephesians 6. And I know that a couple of the guys, David and Nick, have been leading that small group and have some fantastic resources and probably some study tips to help you um, to, do, to do that. And thirdly, he established duty rotations so that some stood guard while the others worked. And the kingdom of God is built with both a sword and a trowel. A sword for spiritual defence and a trowel to do the work of building up the people of God. Because Christians need to help one another in the same way. By looking out for each other, we'll be free to put our best effort, confident that others are are there, they're ready to offer help when needed. So who is encouraging you and who are you encouraging as as a result? And that leads us into the last line of defence, which was a communication system. We have no record that the trumpet was ever used, but just knowing it would issue a warning when needed was reassuring enough. The promise of open, immediate communication helped the group encounter the enemy's threats. And when we're joined together in community, we have people to pray for us, build us up, serve alongside us. And you might be sitting here wondering, surely if this was all God's purpose and plan, it could have been easier? without the costly distractions of having to split your workers or increase your productivity by allowing them to rest and refocus and not be weighed down with heavy weapons. Surely, if God gave Nehemiah favour with Artaxerxes, then he could have done the same with Sambalat and Tobiah. Why did he allow so much wasted time, energy and money? And the truth is, he didn't. In God's economy, none of these resources were wasted. God was investing in something far more important and precious than a wall. He was building faith. I'm just going to finish by quoting some writing by John Bloom, who's a teacher and co-founder of Desiring God, and see if you can spot how many scripture references there are as I read. A rebuilt city and a faithless people would not please God. History had shown that a strong wall doesn't save unless the Lord watches over the city. So as Nehemiah and the people worked to rebuild Jerusalem, God worked through opposition to build their dependent faith in his power rather than, his, than their own. It was the opposition that prompted Nehemiah to preach, do not be afraid of them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Faith is the conviction of things not seen, God gives it to us as a gift but he tests, refines and strengthens it in the fires of difficulty, adversity, opposition and suffering. We only really learn to walk by faith, not by sight, when we must trust what is not seen more than what is seen. That's why all the seemingly inefficient trials of our kingdom life and labour are not wasted. God is building the tested genuineness of our faith, which he considers more precious than gold and it's trials more than prosperity that that teaches us to remember the Lord. So count it all joy today when you meet trials of various kinds. God is building your faith. Faith is worth all the time, energy, and money it costs to build, because only by faith we will receive our commendation from God. There's nine in there in case you were wondering. So when you attempt to do God's work, Some will oppose you, some will even hope you fail. However, if you expect opposition, you will be prepared rather than surprised. Knowing that God is behind your task is the best incentive to move ahead in the face of opposition. So what is he calling you to do? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would that be our prayer today, God? As we meet with you, God, in our quiet place, I pray that we would be open to hearing from you. Just like Nehemiah, God, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours and show us areas or ministries, God, that you wish us to build up. God, I pray that we might build up our relationships with you, God, going deeper into our relationship through your word, through prayer and our relationships with others, God. I just pray that, that, God, we would just love people as you love them, that we would be willing and open and ready to go out into your kingdom, God, and to do the work, to do the stuff. God, I just pray that as we wait on you just now, as we meet with you in our own quiet place this week, Lord, that you would just be bringing to us visions, pictures, words, that you would be prompting our hearts, Lord, for what you wish for us to get involved in. And God, I pray that we would look to Nehemiah as an example of prayer, of planning and preparation, of determination to carry out your will and your vision. And if there's any area, God, that is not part of your will or your plan for us, God, I pray that that would be made clear, Lord, And that we would let that go. And that we would just refocus on you. And what you have in store for us. And this church and these communities and this city that we live in. Yeah God. In Jesus name. Amen.